0: Hey, what's up? It's your bro, Mario Escobedo. Welcome to episode number one of season two of the Christian Bro Code podcast. And let me tell you, I'm excited that you've decided to join me on this episode. Lots of stuff to learn in season number two. We're going to be doing some Bible study stuff, all with the intention of growing, of taking a step, a spiritual growth, From where we are right now to where God wants us to be. And wherever God wants us to be, it's definitely better than where we are right now. Before we jump into today's Bible study, let me tell you that you can expect a new episode of the Christian Bro Code podcast, the first Monday of every month. And so this episode, like I said, is episode number one of season two, and so it's airing in January of 2019. But the first Monday of every month there's a new episode of the Christian Bro Code Podcast. And to make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, on Google Play, on Stitcher, and even on YouTube. You can subscribe that way. You're always up to date on the newest episodes. The other thing that you can do is that you can sign up for my email list. Now, I'm going to leave a link in the description of this episode. That way you can follow that link. And all I need is your name and your email address. That's it. And I will notify you whenever there is a new episode. And my promise to you, one bro to another, is that I'm not going to spam you. I'm not going to send you all kinds of junk mail. Nothing like that. This is just to notify you whenever there is new content whether it's an episode or something else, new content available from the Christian Bro Code podcast. So consider doing that if you would. Over on the Christian Bro Code YouTube channel, I created a video with some bonus content for this episode that you're listening to right now. There's some stuff I wanted to show you, and it was easier to show you in a video than trying to explain it here on this episode. So I'm going to leave a link to to that video in the description of this episode so that you can go check it out. It's some stuff that I think is really interesting. I think you're going to like it, and it's going to give some more, I don't know, some more color and make this story a bit more interesting. So be sure that after you listen to this episode, go check out that video of the bonus content over at the Christian Bro Code YouTube channel. Now, let's jump into today's teaching, and I'm, I'm going to be sharing with you from, well, one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It's in Judges chapter 3, verses 12 through 30. You might be familiar with this story. It has to do with a man by the name of Ehud, and we're going to jump into that story. But before we do that, let me give you just a brief, and I mean really brief overview, some context that I think will help us understand the story of Ehud just a little bit more. Now, the story of Ehud is found in the book of Judges, and where do we locate, historically speaking, if we're looking at a a timeline of biblical events, where do we locate the book of Judges and, and by extension, the story of Ehud? Well, if we, if we were to look at a timeline, we go through uh, the creation, and we go through Noah, we go through Abraham, then we get to Moses, the period of slavery in Egypt for the people of Israel. Moses, of course, liberates the people of Israel from slavery. They wander in the desert for 40 years. And then under the leadership of Joshua, the people of Israel enter the Promised Land, and it's, it's right after the period of Joshua when the people of Israel have taken possession of the promised land that we enter into the period of the Judges. Now, technically speaking, if you speak to biblical scholars or biblical historians, they'll tell you that essentially Joshua and Judges still or Judges still belongs to the period in biblical history when the people of Israel are taking possession of the promised land. And so the, the way I describe it when I talk about this is that in the book of Joshua, the people of Israel actually take possession of the promised land. And in the book of Judges, they're learning how to live in the promised land. And this is where we find ourselves when we get to the book of Judges. Now there's this cycle, okay? There's a cycle that takes place in the book of Judges, and it's a pattern or a cycle that you can can overlay it, on just about any story in the book of Judges. So here's here's the pattern, here's the cycle that you'll notice in the book of Judges. Take some time to read the book of Judges at some point, and you'll notice this pattern or this cycle. The first, the first part of the pattern is that the people of Israel do evil in the eyes of the Lord. Typically, it's idolatry. Typically, the way that they do evil in the eyes of the Lord is that they commit idolatry. They, they chase after foreign gods. After after they do that, or as a result of that idolatry, what takes place is that God then gives them over to a foreign nation or a foreign enemy, and they're oppressed as a result of the sin that they committed against the Lord, as a result of their idolatry. After that, then we find out that the people of Israel cry out to the Lord in repentance and in forgiveness and ask them, ask the Lord to deliver them. And God, in his mercy and in his grace, he replies by sending the people of Israel a deliverer. And then the, the the deliverer, well, he delivers them, and then the pattern pretty much starts all over again. Now, these deliverers are what we call judges. These are the judges that we talk about in the book of Judges. And when we talk about judges uh, in the context of the book of Judges, the biblical book of Judges, we're not talking about men and women who would sit behind a a tribunal and pass judgment on cases. That's that's not what we're talking about. In the context of the book of Judges, when we use the word judge, we're talking about an individual who would serve as a military leader for the people of Israel. This individual, typically a man, would lead the people of Israel in battle. And they're the ones who would lead as a, a response to the Lord's raising up a judge because the people of Israel cried out to the Lord because they were in oppression or in bondage as a result of their sin. So that's, that's that pattern in the book of Judges. The people of Israel sin. God delivers them to a foreign nation to be oppressed as a punishment for their sin. The people of Israel cry out to God. He answers with a deliverer. The deliverer delivers them, and then they repeat the pattern all over again. So when we come to Judges chapter 3, verse 12, the story of Ehud, we see that pattern very clearly. In fact, let me start reading and I'm not going to read the entire story verse by verse. I'm going to summarize some parts and I will read some other parts. But as we read through this, I want you to pay attention to some details and I'll point out those details as we're going through it. But I I really do think that this story, it it can serve as an encouragement for you. I, I don't know what kind of 2018 you had, I don't know what you're expecting in 2019, but I do hope that the story of Ehud, the judge, will give you some encouragement as you're moving forward in your life and, let's say, in 2019. So I'm going to start reading. And right away, you're going to notice that pattern that I was talking about. So this is Judges chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. Here's how it reads. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. There's that first step in the pattern. And because they did this evil, the Lord gave Eglon, king of Moab, power over Israel. There's that second step in the pattern where God delivers them over to another nation. Getting the Ammonites, the Amalekites to join him, Eglon came and attacked Israel and they took possession of the city of Palms. That's the city of Jericho. The Israelites were subject to Eglon, king of Moab, for 18 years. So verses 13 and 14 are all that second stage in the pattern where the Lord delivers the people of Israel over to foreign nations for oppression as a result of their sin or as a consequence of their sin. Now, verse 15, we continue with the pattern. Again, the Israelites cried out to the Lord. Okay, there's that other step in the pattern. And here's the next step in the pattern. And he gave them a deliverer. Okay, there's that word that we could also translate as judge, a military leader, somebody God was going to use in order to deliver the people of Israel <clears throat> pardon me, deliver the people of Israel from the foreign oppression. Now, here's where things go a little bit differently from the other stories in the book of Judges that talk about deliverers or judges because we find out a detail about this particular judge. So it says that the Lord listened to the cry of the Israelites and he gave them a deliverer. And the name of that deliverer is Ehud. But notice in verse 15, how Ehud is described. This is what it says. The Lord gave them a deliverer, Ehud. And this is what it says. A left-handed man, the son of Gera, the Benjamite. Now, I, I point that out because there are very, very few times, I want to say fewer than five times in the entire Old Testament, for that matter, for the entire Bible, where whether a person is left-handed or right-handed is mentioned. It, it's, just, it's just not mentioned. And so when you see something like this, that's a bit out of the ordinary, a bit extraordinary, you you, you want to pay attention and begin to ask, well, why is it? that in this particular case, the Bible or the author felt it important to mention this little detail that really is never even mentioned in other parts of scripture, in this case, the dexterity of this man, Ehud, that he was left-handed. Well, this is going to become important later in the story. Let's keep reading and and summarizing. Notice what happens next. The Israelites sent Ehud, this left-handed man, this deliverer, to Eglon, king of king of Moab. Now remember, Eglon is the king of Moab. Moab is the nation that is currently oppressing the people of Israel. And so what are they doing? The people of Israel are sending tribute. Oh, maybe we can say they're sending tax. They're sending their obligation, their their tax to Eglon, king of Moab, because, well, he's the ruler over them. And as we keep reading, we find out that Ehud, verse 16 tells us, that Ehud made a double-edged sword that was about hmm, 18 inches long, more or less. And then there's another detail that the Bible mentions about this sword. It says in verse 16, the second half of verse 16, it says, he strapped the sword to his right thigh under his clothing. Okay. Notice notice that detail. Had this sword, double-edged sword, about 18 inches long, and he strapped it to his right thigh under his clothing. Now, that makes absolute sense. Just, just think about it. He's left-handed, right? He's a left-handed man. And so, if he's going to withdraw or unsheathe his sword, the best place to put it would be on his right thigh. If he were to put it on his left thigh, considering that it's about 18 inches long, a foot and a half it would have been pretty difficult for him to withdraw, to unsheathe his sword with his left hand if it were strapped to his left thigh. I mean, just, just kind of try it on your own one of these days. Get get a stick that's about 12 inches, 16 inches, something like that, and, and put it on your right thigh. If you're right-handed, put it on your right side. If you're left-handed, put it on your left side and see how difficult it is to withdraw that or to pull it out as if you were pulling out a sword from the same side, the same thigh, as the hand that you're using to pull it out. And I think you'll see that it's rather difficult. So the fact that Ehud is left-handed and he straps the sword to his right thigh makes absolute sense. Because in the moment that he would have to withdraw or unsheathe this double-edged sword, it's, it's, it's placed perfectly. It's on his right thigh, which means that he can easily withdraw it with his left hand. Okay, so so far, we've got some pretty important details. But, we're going to find out, we're going to have to read between the lines in just a little bit to figure out what these details mean and and how we can apply the principles uh, of this story to our lives as Christian bros. So here's what keeps on happening. Verse 17, Ehud, he goes uh, to Moab, to the king of Moab, who is uh, Eglon. And then there's this uh, another detail, another little detail in this story that we find out, and this time it's not about Ehud, it's about Eglon, the king of Moab. Now, keep these names straight, okay? They, they might sound a little bit similar, but we have Ehud, the Israelite, the deliverer, the left-handed man, and we have Eglon, who is the king of Moab, the oppressing nation. And here's a detail that we find out about Eglon in verse 17. Eglon, king of Moab, was a very fat man. Did you get that? Eglon, king of Moab, was a very fat man. Let's keep going in the story. about verse 18, Ehud gives the tax or the tribute to Eglon, and then he and all of his entourage, they leave. But then at a certain point in the journey, Ehud turns back, he goes back to Moab, back to Eglon, king of Moab, and he tells him this, your majesty, I have a secret message for you. And when the king heard that, when Eglon heard Ehud tell him, I have a secret message for you, he told everybody who was there in his chamber, he said, leave us. And they all left. And so now what we have is that you have Ehud, the left-handed man who has a sword strapped to his right thigh alone with the king. This is what happens. Ehud, I'm going to read directly from the text here. Ehud approached him while he was sitting alone in the upper room of his palace. And he said, I have a message from God for you. And as the king rose from his seat, notice verse 21, Ehud, reached with his left hand, drew the sword from his right thigh, and plunged it into the king's belly. Even the handle sank in after the blade, and his bowels discharged. Ehud did not pull the sword out, and the fat closed in over it. Then Ehud went out to the porch. He shut the doors of the upper room behind him and locked them. So notice what took place. They were alone in the upper room of the palace. Ehud withdraws the sword with his left hand from the right thigh where he had strapped it. He stabs the king. The man is so fat that the the fat just covers the blade and the handle. And all of his innards just spill out. I don't know how old you are, but I remember watching, this is when I was a kid, this was in the 80s when I was a kid, I remember watching the movie The Blob. Anybody ever watch that, The Blob? It was this pink gooey blob that would just, just, it would just completely absorb everything in its path. And I kind of imagine Egglong and his fat Kind of being like the blob, so that when Ehud plunges the knife into Ehud's belly, it's just like this blob of flat fat, just just absorbs and just it just it just it just absorbs the blade and the handle and everything. So what happens next in the story? Well, so Ehud has just finished stabbing Eglon. We find out that Eglon's bowels discharged, and this is how the story keeps going about verse 24, after he had gone, the servants, this is the servants of Eglon, the king, the servants came and found the doors of the upper room locked. Remember, Ehud had locked them before he left. And they said, he must be relieving himself in the inner room of the palace. Now, when they say that he must be relieving himself, what they're saying is he must be using the restroom. Now, what is it that would have caused these servants to jump to that conclusion. Why wouldn't they have said, well, maybe he's taking a nap? Why did they jump to the conclusion and say he must be relieving himself? He must be in the bathroom. Well, remember what happened when Ehud stabbed the king in the belly. Some versions say that his bowels discharged. Others versions say that his intestines spilled out. Whatever it is, what took place is that whatever excrement, feces, poop whatever excrement within the king's intestines or belly, when Ehud plunged that sword into his belly, everything just came spilling out. Whether it came spilling out because Ehud ruptured the intestine where all the excrement was, or as a reaction, the king's body just discharged all the excrement the old-fashioned way, you know, the way you and I uh, discharge excrement, whatever happened, the idea that takes place here without it being said is that these men came to the door and they said, oh, he must be relieving himself. Why would they have said that? Well, all this excrement has discharged from the king's body and there's this nasty smell of excrement that's permeating. It's wafting through maybe the chamber, past the door, in the hallways. And so these men, they approach the door, they take a whiff and they say, Oof. You know, ooh, ooh, let's give him his space. He must be relieving himself. What they don't know is that he's actually lying dead on the floor. And after a moment or two, it's, the Bible says that they waited to the point of embarrassment. But when the king didn't open the doors of the room, well, then they got a key, they unlocked the door, and when they walk into the palace chamber, there they, there they see him fallen on the floor, Dead. Now, while all that is taking place, Ehud, of course, he escapes, and he gets to a certain point, and then he blows a trumpet, and he begins to muster up all the troops. He rallies all the troops, and he says, come on, follow me, because the Lord has given Moab, your enemy, into your hands. And so the Bible says that they followed Ehud, all these soldiers followed him, and they they overcame Moab that day. And in fact, verse 30, the last verse, oh, let me go back to verse 29. The last two verses of this story read this way At that time, they, meaning the Israelites, struck down about 10,000 Moabites, all of them vigorous and strong, not one escaped. And then verse 30, the last verse of this story reads That day, Moab was made subject to Israel, and the land had peace for 80 years. Now that's, that's just a great story. I mean, I, 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 I enjoy that. That that's a great story, but what can that possibly teach us today? Well, I'm sure several things and we're going to, well, me, okay. I'm going to have to speculate just a little bit here, but I think it's warranted. I think it's valid. I don't think I'm violating the sense of this passage. I'm going to speculate and read between the lines a little bit. And what it what interests me are all the little details that the passage mentions specifically about Ehud being left-handed and strapping the sword to his right thigh. Because, now, now just, just kind of think out loud with me a little bit, or allow me to think out loud, and let's just speculate a little bit. Here you have Israel, and they are... A servant nation to Moab. And so they have to send the tax. They have to send the tribute to Moab. But they send this man Ehud. And the Bible specifies and makes note of this detail that Ehud was a left handed man. Now, we need to pause right here and acknowledge the fact that in the ancient world, left handed individuals were considered second class citizens. That's that's just how it was. That, that's just a fact. In fact, in the Hebrew text of this story, there really isn't a word that I'm aware of, at least, and in this story, it doesn't appear. It, there isn't a word that means left-handed man. You know, we have right-handed and left-handed. In this story, when it says that Ehud was a left-handed man, there isn't a word or a phrase that means left-handed. The way it reads in the original text is that Ehud was a man whose right hand was shut up. His right hand wasn't working. And it wasn't that Ehud had gone through an accident and now his right hand wasn't working, so he had no choice but to use his left hand. It's that that's how left-handed individuals were described. They had a gimp right arm. They, their their right arm was, or the right hand was shut down. It was bound up. It was no good. So they had no choice but to use their left hand. And there's this there was this stigma, this idea that a left-handed individual was in some sense, a second-class citizen, defective. Something was wrong with the left-handed individual just because they were left-handed. And you have to admit that nowadays, we live in a right-handed world. Now, things have improved, things have gotten better, but they, they, you know, left-handed individuals, they, they have to have special scissors made for them. They can't use the regular uh, can opener that we use right? If you're left-handed, you can probably understand this now. I'm right-handed, but my sister, I have a sister, she's left-handed. Every single year for school, they had to bring her a special desk for, right, for left-handed individuals. If you've ever eaten lunch or dinner with a left-handed individual and you're right-handed, you know that you're always bumping elbows with them. I mean, try driving a manual transmission, a stick shift if you're left-handed. Now, that, that, that can be kind of challenging we live in a right-handed world. And and in the ancient world, it was was looked down upon if you were a left-handed individual. You were a second-class citizen. You were defective. Something was wrong with you. And yet, this is the man that the people of Israel, for whatever reason, chose to send the tax, the tribute to Eglon, the king of Moab. Now, Maybe they didn't know he was left-handed at the time. I don't know. But anybody, an ancient Israelite who would have been reading this text or, or hearing this story told to them, when this little detail emerges about him being left-handed, I think they would have gasped. I think they would have been like, what? Wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Grandpa, you're telling me this story. But why in the world are they sending a left-handed man to do such an important job? Why? Why would they send this defective runt? And, and this is my disclaimer: I'm not calling anybody left-handed defective or a runt. This is how it was back then, not anymore. Left-handed people have come a long way, thank God, right? <laughs> but I think this this would have been the perception. They would have been like they would have been reading or hearing the story, and they would have been, wait a minute, wait a minute, why are they sending this left-handed man? To do such an important job, like take the tax or the tribute to the king of the nation that is lording, lording, not loitering, lording over us, something's wrong here. But they send Ehud anyway, and I have to believe. Now again, this is part of the speculation. I I understand the text doesn't say this explicitly, but come on, you've got you've got this representative from an oppressed nation coming. To the oppressor, to the king, to the palace of the oppressor. Now you don't think Eglon, the king of Moab had a palace guard. Of course he did. You don't think they frisked and searched every man who was part of Ehud's entourage as they walked in to see the king. I, I think they would have. However, I don't think they would have considered that the people of Israel would have sent a left-handed man for such an important task. Again, I'm, I fully recognize, I'm speculating, okay? I know I'm speculating, but I think it makes sense. And so if they would have frisked and searched the man in this entourage with Ehud, I think it makes absolute sense that they would have not have ever considered, it would have never passed through their mind that this task was being carried out by a left-handed man. And so they would have searched and they would have patted down And every man, they probably more than likely would have patted down their left thigh because that's where somebody would conceal a weapon because everyone's right-handed and there's no way they would send a second class left-handed person to do such an important job. So it's very possible that they would have patted down everyone and patted down their left thigh, never thinking to pat down anybody's right thigh. And so there you have Ehud, maybe with a little smirk on his face. (laughs) You know, I know something you don't know. He's left-handed. And so if he were to conceal a weapon, which he was doing, it would make absolute sense that he would conceal it on his right-hand side, but they would never have thought that that would have been the case. And so it turns out that Ehud, because of his defect, because of his second-class citizenry, because of the fact that he had this defect that everybody else, probably for the entirety of his life, had probably ragged on him about it, had probably pushed him to the side, had probably teased him, had probably said, well, listen, you're just, this is just your lot in life. You know, you're, you're left-handed. Oh, well, not much you can do about it, but well, you know, make the best of it. The very thing that had disqualified him in everybody else's eyes and probably even in his own eyes, that defect, that error, that second-class citizenry is the very thing that God used to bring deliverance to the people of Israel. Now, I, I have to believe that in the 18 years that the people of Israel were subject to Eglon and to Moab, there had to have been other individuals who could have been more qualified to do this but it's something that we've heard. You've probably heard several times that God isn't so much interested in your ability as much as he's interested in your availability. And I have to think that at some level, at some point in his life, maybe Ehud said something like, God, I I just don't have a whole lot to offer. You know, God, I'm second class. I'm second rate. I'm the runt. I'm left-handed. But listen, if there's ever anything that you think I just might be able to do. If there's ever anything I might be able to do, I I, I know, I know it's a long shot. I I mean, I know, I I know who I am. I I know, but if there's ever anything, then here I am. And I think that this was the perfect opportunity that God used Ehud's availability. And the very thing that disqualified him in his own eyes and in the eyes of everybody else, in God's hands, was a powerful, powerful weapon that resulted in the liberation of the people of Israel. And I have to stop and think, again, I know I'm speculating, I I, I get that, I'm speculating, I know, I know. But I have to think that when Ehud returned to his hometown, or to his family home, that maybe there was another left-handed little boy there or another young man or somebody who just thought that their lot in life was to do absolutely nothing. But when they saw Ehud come back and they start hearing the story of what Ehud did and how as a result of his defect, he was able to lead the people in the army of Israel in liberation from Eglon and Moab, maybe that just sparked a little bit of hope in them And they said, well, if Ahud could do it, then maybe I can do it too. Now, here's here's what I want you to think about. What is it that has disqualified you? What, What is it? What's that defect in your life that has caused you to disqualify yourself or that others become aware of that defect in your life, and they disqualified you from being used by God to do something of purpose, something of value, something of importance. Maybe there's something in your past. Maybe there's something that you that you went through as a, as, as a boy. Maybe, uh, maybe there was abuse at home. Maybe there was physical, emotional, verbal, mental, emotional, I already said emotional, sexual abuse that took place. And and because that happened, you feel defective. You feel like you're second class. And you feel that you are disqualified from ever being used by God to do something of importance and value and something that would advance God's kingdom and bless his people. Maybe you, you yourself, you did something Maybe you did something and you feel that whatever that shameful, sinful action that you did, maybe you feel that that has disqualified you. Maybe you disqualified yourself, or maybe others have disqualified you and have told you that you can't be used by God because of fill in the blank. Whatever you did, that shameful, sinful, embarrassing act that you committed, that has now, at least in your eyes and possibly in the eyes of others, it's disqualified you. I think I think we all have something of that, to some degree or another. I know there are things in my past that I... I have you ever had this happen to you? It happens to me. Because there are those things in my past that when I think about them, I just kind of cringe a little bit. You know, you just, oh man, why did I do that? Oh God, I wish I hadn't done that. Right? We, we all have those. Those moments, those experiences, and for some, for some they're 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 worse than others. Let's just say it how it is, right? So, So they're they're just worse. They're more serious than than it is for others. But we all have, we all have those experiences in our life, in our past. That we feel that they just disqualify us. And so we we want to do something big for God and we hear maybe our pastors tell us, "Hey, God wants to use you to be a good husband, to be a good father, to to be a leader in this church, to be a leader in your community, to to shine light in the darkness of your of your workplace." And and you get excited, you get emotion emotional and hyped up and, and and all this about it and then you remember, "Oh yeah, but this." Oh yeah, but I'm I'm going to put this in quotes. I'm left-handed. I've got this defect. I've got this disqualification. And because of that disqualification, I can't do it. I want want to be used by God to do something big, but this defect has disqualified me. It's made me a second-class citizen. And I think of the many, many things that we can take away from the story of Ehud, it's that in God's eyes, there are no second-class citizens, and that in God's eyes, what you and what others might view as defects and disqualifications, when you put those defects and those disqualifications into God's hands, and you make yourself available, then what others and you yourself consider a, a defect, ends up being a powerful weapon that God can wield in order to bring liberation, not only to you, but to other people around you as well. And so I want to encourage you. I, I don't know who you are as you're listening to this, I don't know what happened in 2018. Maybe, maybe 2018 was filled with those moments where you cringe when you think about them. Or maybe you go farther back or further back in your life and you think about things that you did, things that you said, people that you hurt, actions that you committed that you wish you could take back. I want to tell you that you're not disqualified. You have not disqualified yourself. God can still use you to do something of impact, of value, and of purpose for the kingdom of God. And all you and I have to do is put ourselves in God's hands and say, God, if there's anything I can do, I, I know. I, I know I've got this, this defect. I know my past. I'm truly repentant for what I've done in the past, and I ask for your grace, your mercy, and your forgiveness, and use me, defects and all, to do something of purpose and of impact for your kingdom. And I just have to believe that that is a prayer that God honors and that God delights in that prayer. So as you're listening to this, think about that. What, what have... What have you done that you feel has disqualified you, made you a second-class citizen, and that you say, no, God can't use me. No. Whenever those thoughts creep up into your mind, I want you to think of Ehud, the left-handed man, and how God used him in a way that nobody probably ever thought that he could be used to do something of importance, of value, and of purpose for the kingdom of God. And here's, here's what I want to do. This episode, I'm, I'm wrapping it up, but here's what I want to do. Right? I just want to pray for you, right there where you are. You might be listening in your car, you you might be cutting the grass, you might be doing something else around the house. I want to pray for you. And and I'm praying this right now, you know, as as I'm recording this. But listen, there's there's power in prayer. And even if you're listening to this prayer as a recording, I want you to know that this prayer is emanating from the depth of my heart with absolute sincerity. And I want you to feel the power of this prayer. And I want you to know that God can use you and that you're not disqualified and that those defects cannot hold you back when you put them in God's hands. And they may be, those, those defects and those things that, that you think disqualify you may be the very things that God uses to advance his kingdom through you. So I'm going to pray for you. Give me this opportunity to pray for you right there, wherever you are. Lord, we, we all have those moments that make us cringe. We all have those moments in our past that when we think about them, we, we we just cringe and we say, how could I have been so dumb? Why did I do that? And Lord, as, as humans, those moments weigh heavily on us and, and they they make us feel disqualified. They make us feel unworthy. And truth be told, we are unworthy and we have disqualified ourselves because of our sin. But we're thankful that we serve a loving, merciful, forgiving God who is full of grace and who knows how to forgive us even when we are at our worst. Lord, for every Christian bro who is listening to this right now, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak deeply into their hearts and remind them that they have been forgiven absolutely and completely forgiven by you. And that their qualification is not because of their ability or what all they can do. Their qualification is in Jesus Christ and the mercy and the grace that you've showered on us. I pray, Lord, a prayer of encouragement for each man, for each Christian bro who is listening to this right now, who might feel discouraged or disqualified. Holy Spirit, speak life. And encouragement and purpose into each Christian bro who is listening to this right now. That we would walk forward with purpose, with value, and knowing that in your hands, you can use us to do incredible things that will advance your kingdom on this earth. This is my prayer in the name of Jesus. Hey, that's it for this episode. Thank you very, very much for taking the time to listen. I pray that this, this helped you take a step of spiritual growth as you meditate and you think about this, that this would help you take a step of spiritual growth, advancing from where you are to where God wants you to be. I'd love to hear from you in the comments, whether it's on the YouTube channel or Facebook or wherever wherever you're tuning in from. Uh, I'd love to hear from you in the comments. And uh, if there's something I can pray for you about, let me know. You can email me at, mario at mario com. That's mario at com you can email me and I'd be happy to pray for you. You can direct message me on Facebook or pretty much any other social media platform where you find me. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes or wherever you get the podcast from. YouTube as well. Subscribe to the Christian Bro Code YouTube channel. And uh, if you want to receive email notifications every time there's a new episode, then definitely sign up for my email list. There's a link to that in the description of this episode. That we are never lose out on an episode. Hey, don't forget to check out the video with the bonus content that goes with this episode over at the Christian Bro Code YouTube channel. There's a link to that video in the description of this episode. Hey, that's it for now. Remember, there is a brand new episode the first Monday of every month. God bless, bro.